mercy and peace to yours from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of the Lord that engages us this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the ninth chapter, in which our author, Matthew, receives his call from the Lord. And I love to look at the calls of the disciples because it reminds us who we are. It reminds us that whether we were notorious sinners, whether we are children, we have much or have little, whether we were born here in orange or elsewhere, each one of us by the Spirit has heard the call of our Jesus. And we are now those today who have gathered here in this place where for 140 years people have belonged and followed Jesus. We are those who acknowledge and know the word of the Lord. We are those who have come to eat at the table of the Lord. We are those who have come to be washed in the water so that when we rise or fall, so that while the world may be against us or try to silence us, gives us trouble or scars or challenges, we are those who hear the voice of our good shepherd, our Lord Jesus, who has called each one of us by name, who carry his call deep in our heart to remind us that we always know the way and that way is to follow so let's get started let's pull out our bibles if you brought them with you to matthew chapter 9 you can follow along of course in your bulletin knowing that as we read the word of the lord the gaze of our lord jesus as he himself looks at us and loves he is the one speaking to us he is the one calling us by name Matthew 9, 9 says, as Jesus went on, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a booth. Follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. A little bit of background. Tax collectors were not only notorious sinners, but they were properly regarded as collaborators with the Romans against their fellow Jews. Nobody liked the tax man, including 2,000 years later, the Beatles. Now, the Jewish people rightly thought of tax collectors as traitors because they worked for the Roman government and they had the force of those Roman soldiers behind them to enforce people paying taxes. Tax collectors were the ones who were the most visible Jews who collaborated with Romans. They were considered extortioners because they got to keep whatever they over-collected. In fact, tax collectors would even bid, among others, for the tax collecting contract. For example, many tax collectors might have wanted that contract for the city of Capernaum because it was so well off. And the Romans awarded the contract to the highest bidder. And the man collected the taxes, paid the Romans what they were due, but kept the remainder for themselves. Meaning there was a lot of incentive for a tax collector to overcharge, to cheat any way they could to make quite a bit of profit. So if everyone hated tax collectors and everyone knew what tax collectors were all about, it's remarkable to see how Jesus loved and called Matthew. Doesn't seem like Jesus was trying to put together a disciple super team that would be acceptable that wouldn't cause any controversy, that would boost his popularity, his chances of succeeding. He simply called who he called, ordinary, everyday sinners. And throughout scripture, he comes upon people in the daily routine of their lives and calls them to follow, calls them to discipleship. 
whether it was fishermen doing their work or just a guy sitting under a tree, what we see for us is that Jesus calls people out of the ordinariness of their lives. It's not that they don't have anything else to do. It's that they don't have anything more important to do than to hear and listen and respond to the Savior's call. The call makes a compelling, life-altering claim to each one of us. It says, in effect, since there is nothing more important for you to do, drop everything you are doing and follow me. And the fitting response is to get up and follow. And I love that. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. It reads so easily, doesn't it? But it comes with challenges. For Matthew, this was probably in one way more of a sacrifice than some of the other disciples made. Peter, James, John, they could easily go back to their fishing business. Wouldn't be so easy for Matthew to go back to tax collecting. Not to mention that we can find by archaeological evidence that any fish taken out of the Sea of Galilee were taxed. So I wonder how that first meeting, what's up guys, I'm new to the disciple team, I'm Matthew. Yeah, we know you bro, you've been taxing us on our fish. Probably pretty awkward. But for many of us, it's very similar. To follow Jesus means that we will be marked as different than those we work with, those around us. For many of us, it does not bode well to follow Jesus regardless of the religious liberties we have. Some of us have had to leave friends or family, have to leave a way of life to follow Jesus. But God never calls us to something without calling us away from something first. He always calls us away from what our heart thought it needed, calls us away from an identity, a life that we have created, and instead calls us to his own heart, calls us to give us something new, something more, something real, calls each one of us to give us hope. The call from Jesus is in a multiple test choice with multiple answers. It's either a yes or a no, and when we're presented with the moment, we want to shout yes, and I think we do. But it's scary after we say yes. What if we fail? If we say yes, I will follow you, we get up and we do it. What happens when we make mistakes? Do we lose everything? Does it no longer count that following Jesus? Do we only get one chance? Do we, I mean, if we have a history of making mistakes, and we know that we can start strong, Jesus. We really can. I'm going to follow you, but what if I need help along the way? What if I don't have the strength to finish this following you? What if I thought I said yes when I was younger, and I look back now, and I'm not so sure I really have? Have I really followed Jesus? Am I really following Jesus now? Can you follow Jesus if you have doubt and you have fear? But Jesus' call to follow him, I don't think, is to earn your salvation. You're going to fall, you're going to fail, you're going to struggle because you are human. We've got to keep getting up and keep following. 
Each one of these disciples that he called struggled. Whether they denied him or ran away from him, they struggled. But they kept getting up, following after each time, each day, and so must we. Each day we must live and follow in the grace, in his strength, in his freedom. Of course you're not going to be a perfect follower. But I don't know if that's the point of this text. I think the point of this text is not that Matthew got up and followed. I mean, he's the writer. And he gives himself, what, six words? I got up, I followed him. Because as the writer, he didn't want us to miss the point, the main focus, the center of the story. It's not about Matthew choosing to follow. It's not about Matthew leaving the booth. It's about the one who chose Matthew. It's the one who called out to Matthew. And that is at the heart of each one of the calls that each one of us have received. It's Jesus who calls us. It's Jesus who chooses us. Jesus who has said, come be something more by following me. And that we have to remember. We have to hold to that. So that when we struggle, when the hard times come, we have this anchor in the storm. That Christ himself chose you. Didn't wait till you were perfect and then called you. But called you as is. Called you as a child. Called you when you could do nothing on your own. Called you in your youth. Called you whether it was in your old age. Calls you when you close your eyes for the last time. Jesus always is calling you. Because you are known. Because he loves you. And sees you. And chooses you. In a time where we struggle with identity. We look at Matthew and the identity that he chose for himself, the one he made for himself of wealth, importance, and work, an identity that it caused him to probably feel a little isolated because his people wanted nothing to do with him. And that happens when we value things over people, self over righteousness. But he didn't waste any time dropping that identity and following after something more because he knew in that moment the identity that Jesus gives him. Not an identity that is earned or made, but given by Jesus is worth infinitely more. Is real and full and true. Which is why the second part of our text is so important. Here's Jesus having dinner at Matthew's house. Looks like he didn't waste any time gathering his friends to come experience what he had received. Many tax collector sinners come, they sit, they ate with him and his disciples. And the Pharisees see this. They ask the disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors, sinners? And Jesus replies, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice. I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners. See, Jesus calling Matthew the tax collector is controversial, but it's downright scandalous that Jesus would choose to go to Matthew's house for a meal and sit with other tax collectors and sinners because in ancient Judaism, table fellowship expressed solidarity 
Sharing food and drink symbolized a shared life. And by sharing a meal with many tax collectors and sinners, Jesus is identifying himself with these outsiders, these sinners, and welcoming them into his kingdom. And in the eyes of the Pharisees, <laughs> well, Jesus is inviting all the wrong people into his movement. He's siding with all the wrong people, choosing all the wrong types. And so they challenge the disciples and say, why does your teacher eat with those people? In other words, why does your teacher, what kind of teacher, that man, why would he do such a thing? And in a backhanded way, what they're saying is, what does that say about you, disciple, that you would let this man do that? That you would let yourself be identified with him? Is that really who you want to be counted amongst? And I love it that Jesus responds, not the disciples, but Jesus. Twofold response. He makes it very clear what his mission is to forgive sins and to go to sinners, just as a physician must go to the sick. And isn't it interesting? You can look there in your text. You know, Jesus has many harsh words to say in Matthew's Gospel. But we don't see him directing any at sinners. The inaugural message is a call for all people to repent. Yes, he denounces the cities that he visits for failing to repent, pronounces woe against the Pharisees and the scribes. But in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus not once approves the so-called sinners. We don't see Jesus criticizing those he's eating with. He's not demanding their repentance in the text. He's just eating and drinking with them. Actually, the criticism in our text comes against the ones who are questioning Jesus' mercy, questioning Jesus' grace. And the answer to the question is very simple. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Those who are well don't need a doctor, but those who are sick do. And this is what the Pharisees didn't want to hear, didn't understand. They were like doctors who wanted to avoid all contact with sick people. Of course, they wished that sick people would get better, but they couldn't risk, couldn't risk getting infected by being around them. And I struggled with what we're to make of that. Do we find ourselves wishing others will get better? Yelling at others to get better, but not willing to sit with, to go to, to look at in love rather than judgment. And I think in Matthew 5, Jesus called that to be light. He says what that looks like is being light, to respond to the call, to not put off following me and going where I have gone, but to get up and follow now, right where you are, in the place where you are. Matthew didn't waste any time inviting those around him who he knew to come and sit with him. And Jesus didn't waste any time saying, 
I've come for these. That's why the second part of his response to the Pharisees is to go back to Scripture 101 to learn what Hosea 6.6 means, to desire mercy, not sacrifice. This passage was written because it was supposed to express covenant love and faithfulness, but instead the people were trying to cover up their grave sins with external acts of piety, like sacrifice. They brought animals for sacrifice, but they never brought themselves as a living sacrifice. They want it outside, not inside. When God really wants is that deep, close relationship with Him, the life that is lived as Jesus did, trusting in God, loving God, and loving and caring for others. The Greek word here for mercy is eleos, which is this, and in the Septuagint, it often represents that Hebrew word, hesed, meaning loyal, steadfast, love. Jesus is using this to challenge the Pharisees and to challenge us not to allow external practices such as table fellowship to replace the steadfast love that has to be shown to God and to all people. This is the relationship that we are called to follow. Not one that we do first, but one that God has shown us. Because this is the relationship that God has made with us. It was Jesus who came to us. Jesus who stood beside us as sinners. Jesus who went to the cross for us as sinners. Jesus who brought resurrection and life to us who were dead in our sins. Jesus who found the lost. Jesus who healed the broken. Jesus who loved those who thought they could not be loved. Jesus who brings peace to troubled hearts. Jesus who brings hope to the defeated. Jesus who brings strength to the weak, joy to the despondent, and a word of comfort to each one of us. That is who He is. That is what He does, and that, who, that is who has called you. Who promises you a life worth living and calls you to follow to steadfastly follow and love, to show mercy and follow after Jesus. Amen.